So the scripture today that we are looking at, unfortunately, is not about the Holy Ghost, which I promised some people I would try to incorporate today for uh, Halloween. But whenever I encounter stories of Jesus in scripture or teaching, the first thing I always ask myself is, what is Jesus up to? I feel like that's the best question I can ever ask, really in any context. What's Jesus up to when he's traveling with his close friends? What's he up to when he's by himself? What's he up to when he's in public? Because Jesus is always up to something. And I think there's always something that we can take away from it. It's also really important to think about Jesus both in his current time and place as a Jewish man in a Roman-occupied first-century Palestinian land, but also in our current time and place, 21st century California, Pasadena, United States, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think Jesus lives in one of those places or the other. I think these stories live in both places and only together can they actually impact our lives and let us live into them. So the other thing I do when I look at these kind of stories is I look at what happened right before it and what happened after it. Mark is a really short gospel. You should just read the whole thing sometime. It's honestly, you could probably read the whole thing in like 45 minutes, maybe an hour, because all of these stories take place within the context of a bigger narrative. And so what's happening with Jesus, Melissa actually talked about it, is that there's a bunch of religious rulers who are basically trying to trap Jesus. And there's in one of the verses in chapter 12, it literally says, in an attempt to trap him, blah, blah, blah. So they're not really hiding what they're trying to do. But there's a couple of things that happen right before this story. Some Pharisees and supporters of Herod asked Jesus about taxes. Many of us have heard that story, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is, what is God's. That comes like right before this. The Sadducees asked Jesus about the resurrection and this legal expert who we should read and understand to be like a religious scholar. He asked Jesus about the law. The reason I say we should think of this guy as a religious scholar is because there wasn't necessarily the separation of church and state that we have in our country today, that the law, the legal law that they're referring to would be the like Old Testament law. And so this guy spends a lot of time thinking about how do we understand the rules as they apply to our role in society today. So he asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds by quoting what's called the Shema, which is from Deuteronomy. And it starts out, Jesus basically passes this test pretty easily. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding of you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Write them on your doorposts of your houses and on your gates. So this is not only a test of Jesus's ability to like recite and quote the law, but it's also his, a test of his identity as a Jewish person. 
and a member of this community. Jesus is confirming what this legal, this legal expert, this scholar or scribe often as they're called, um, needed to hear. The Shema, which is hear, O Israel. Shema actually means hear in Hebrew. It's like the beginning of that passage. That's why it's called that. There's a little side note trivia for you. This is actually long considered the unifying message among the Jewish people for thousands of years, um, and actually still to this day, that there is only one true God. Jesus, including this, puts him in the same community as the legal expert who's asking the question. The traps that are being set for him by people are actually trying to like, identify him as an outsider and kind of trip him up and catch him as somebody who is not part of their community. But Jesus keeps bringing himself back into the center of their community as a member of it, as well as hopefully encouraging them to listen to him. So this isn't just Jesus avoiding their trap. He's giving and just like giving them an answer that would appease them. But also what follows is really a sum up of Jesus's ministry and vision for his followers. So there's two commandments. That was actually the answer to Melissa's question. How many rules are there? There's two. That's not true. There are many. I think Jason got it right on Zoom. Love God and love other people. (laughs) Hi, Jason. I don't know where you are. You're over there. Love God and love other people. Jesus says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So we're going to look at these kind of in in little chunks. The first one is this chunk of heart, soul, and mind. These are the things that you believe, that you feel. So I'm going to take heart, soul, and mind. And first, we're going to take heart and soul together. This is the center of your life. This is the thing that keeps you going. Last week's Sunday on on All Souls Reflection really made me think about the souls of people who have left this world, but their their spirit, their, their energy stays behind with us. I want you to take a moment and close your eyes and just think about what it means to love someone with your whole heart and soul. It's kind of hard to describe, but you like, you kind of know what it feels like. So Jesus now adds mind into the Deuteronomy. The Deuteronomy passage doesn't include mind, but Jesus's does. I don't a hundred percent know why it could be because he's speaking to a scholar and he knows that this is how that guy interacts with God on a regular basis is through thinking about things. Many of us in this room are married to people who are also biblical scholars and probably know that they can relate to that. It also could be that in the Hebrew, there's like not really the same separation between mind and heart, like at that time. So there wasn't really a word for it, but by the time Jesus comes around and then for us today, there is a little bit more of a delineation on how we understand those two things. Romans 12 says, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that you can discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
I'm actually glad they're separated because I regularly need reminders about loving God with my heart and loving God with my mind. When the legal religious scholar responds to Jesus, he actually changes love God with your mind. He says, love God with all your understanding. And then Mark tells us that Jesus responds back to him and says the man answered with wisdom. So I want you now to just take a moment, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and think about what it means to love someone or something with your whole mind, understanding, and wisdom. This is about loving with our whole selves, both the cognitive, what we think about things, and the emotional, how we feel about things. If our love stays only in our heart and souls or only in our minds, we miss important parts of it. If we only love those with our heart and souls, we run the risk of only loving those within our immediate circle. Um, and if living a homogenous lifestyle where we only think about those within our immediate grasp. But if we only love with our minds, we can miss what's right in front of us and miss the stories of people and the feelings and experiences. And we can accidentally philosophize about injustice or overthink the possibilities. It has to be both. So the other part of this is our strength. If the first part is how we think and feel, the final one is about loving God with what we do, with our power and abilities. God is not interested in love for love's sake. Love that stays within our hearts and minds could be individualistic. A choice that's made between one person and another about an interaction. God is interested in love that is communal done together and shared with others. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And to avoid people thinking, love God with what I do. This is the prosperity gospel. This is about doing things that seem like they're loving God, but are really about furthering yourself. Jesus kind of gets ahead at that question and gives us the explicit example. I kind of think it's as if he's been traveling with a bunch of disciples that continue to ask questions over and over again, like, but Jesus, how do I do this? Don't worry, Jesus has the answer. Love your neighbor. So this is actually a reference to the other Jewish laws from Leviticus. And our scribe friend that Jesus is talking to definitely would have been familiar with these laws. He probably, though, would not have put these two together. Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 are not often, they're actually, I don't think there's any other reference to them being paired together. And the exact word from Leviticus 19 specifically defines love of neighbor in terms of the non-exploitation of the weak and those in precarious financial situations, including things like make sure you leave part of your field unharvested so there's enough for the poor and the immigrants. That means believe in a world of abundance and not scarcity. There are enough resources to go around 
as long as we only take our part and ensure that others have what they need. Don't steal. I think this includes taking advantage of tenants when charging rent beyond a reasonable rate. Theft doesn't always look like breaking into someone's house and stealing their TV. Don't discriminate against those who are differently abled for your own gain. Do not withhold hired laborers pay. You can read this as ensuring that we pay a living wage for work that is done. Minimum wage is exactly that, a minimum. In most cases, it does not represent a hired laborer's value. The economic ramifications of this exploitation are significant. Jesus is saying, we love our neighbors by not furthering their suffering through exploitation and even doing the work to end exploitation. I wanna take a moment now and hear from you all. And if it shows up on Zoom, someone can just shout it out. Um, who are the people in our world, country, communities who experience exploitation today? Shout it loud enough so that maybe the Zoom people can hear you, but I'll try to repeat. Essential, who are, what are essential workers? Yeah, undocumented. <laughs> the 99%, who was that, Frank? Oh. Teachers, people who pick our food out of the fields, factory workers, anyone who is trafficked, people who live in environmentally challenged areas, people living in impoverished areas, people who are unhoused. Loving God, we lift these people up to you today and work to love them with our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. Loving your neighbor is actually the response to loving God. Worship is not just a place we come, but an act we participate in. Worship is the expression of love. God wants to be worshiped, but must be loved and worshiped in such a way that the result is that we love our neighbors. When we love our neighbors, this is the way that we worship God. So our scribe friend here actually hits it right on the head. He says, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and beside him, there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's almost as if this guy is familiar with Micah 6 that says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with 10,000s of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, which is to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. It's important that all the effort put into loving one's neighbor is rooted originally in love of God. We cannot have one without the other. 
First Corinthians 13 says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all the mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. We are called to love our neighbor in the same way and with the same things that we love God. So this actually aligns with what Bert was sharing with us earlier about the Mennonite church's effort on the cost of poverty. It's called learn, pray, join. We need all three of these. We need to learn with our minds. We have to learn about and understand the tangible and economic impacts of what's happening in our world, country, and city. Knowing the facts of injustice. We've done this with doctrine of discovery. We need to understand the history of housing discrimination and how this leads to us to need rent control today. Understand how the criminal justice system disproportionately impacts people of color. Learning about the role that the United States has played in overseas conflicts that results in much of the global poverty we see today. Learn about the budgets of our cities and school systems, where resources come from, who gets to decide where they go. Learn, pray, when we love with our hearts and souls, by encountering people, listening to their stories, believing the, that their experience is truth, allowing them to permeate our hearts, praying for liberation and healing of economic impacts of this pandemic must be authentically rooted in love and stories of other people. And finally, join. Loving God with what we do. We must use our strength to act with our bodies and physically participate in the work to end suffering. Joining mutual aid efforts or participating in advocacy work. This is the kingdom mindset that leads us to true belonging. When we see each other and believe that we truly belong to one another. Our neighbors are not other. We believe in the one true God whose son Jesus came to earth, not just to teach us about what loving God means, but in order to actually show us what it truly means to love God and love others. Thank you.